Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Always a wonderful time to observe the Lord's Supper. And in case you're wondering what I'm thinking, I don't know if you're thinking the same, but when I look out to you, I wonder what you're thinking about. I wonder what you're praying about. I wonder what's ailing you. I wonder what Jesus is going to be doing in your life. And I get excited, and I... And I smile internally as well, because I know that Jesus Christ is the answer to all, and I know that he's there for you, and I know that he wants to be there with you. And sometimes we have to get out of our own way to allow that to happen, because as we've studied for the last several weeks, months, and a year even, is about our sin, and how it holds us back, and how it it, it, it kind of prevents us from experiencing that full joy that has already been granted to us. And so this morning as we're moving into chapter 8, we get to see the good news. We get to see the hope. We get to see the, the reason why we do what we do, why we live the Christian lifestyle, why we believe what we believe. And it's an exciting time. And just a quick update for you. Some of you might look at me and say, well, you look a little different. Well, I finally put a ring on my finger. So while we were gone on vacation, I took the step and I got married. So yeah, I figured three years was long enough without a ring on the finger. So we'll see how long this one lasts. Anyways, three ministers were fishing one day, all who pastored different churches and in the same town. And while they were fishing... They began confessing their sins to one another. And the first pastor said, Do you know what my big sin is? It's drinking. I know it's wrong, but every Friday night I drive to a city where no one knows me, and I go to a bar and I drink. The second pastor said, Well, said I kind of struggle with that as well, but my, my sin is that I lie. I lie to myself, I lie to my wife, I lie to my kids, and I know I shouldn't do it, and I know it's wrong, so I want you to pray for me for that. And it was the third pastor's turn, and he said, guys, I probably should have gone first because my big sin is gossip, and I can't wait to get back to town. As we've gone through and roamed through the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, God has used his word to expose each of us as we are desperately depraved sinners. And at the risk of overpromising and underdelivering, our text today from Romans 8 could be the most life-changing section of scripture that you will ever encounter. And I'm going to ask you to kind of lock it in like you never have before and to listen attentively and to allow God's word to go down deep within you because this is truly great news. Because Romans 8, as I put on your sermon outline, Romans 8 is great. Romans 8 is great. And many people have said that Romans 8 is their favorite chapter in the Bible and for good reasons. Commentators describe this chapter as the mountain peak of Scripture and as the triumphant hymn of hope. 
Douglas Moo refers to it as the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. Now let me list some reasons why I think so many people have benefited from these verses and this chapter in the Bible. First, assurance is emphasized. Assurance is emphasized. And what has been called a rhapsody of assurance, this chapter begins with, therefore, there is now no condemnation, and ends with, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It starts with no condemnation and closes with no separation. And in between you, you find no defeat. The believer's standing is safe. It's secure. It's settled. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is prominent here. The Holy Spirit is very prominent. The third member of the Trinity is mentioned no less than 19 times in this chapter. Almost once every two verses. And having said that, this chapter is not so much about the Holy Spirit as it is on what the Spirit on the behalf of the believer. The Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation. Verses 1 and 2 in chapter 8 say this. And in our sanctification, verses 3 and 4, he gives us life and peace. He guides us. He empowers us. He helps us. He prays for us and assures us of our adoption into God's family. That's the purpose here. It's interesting to also notice that the personal pronoun I, that is so prominent in chapter 7, largely disappears in Romans 8 because the Holy Spirit becomes the dominant person. He is not a possession to hold on to, but... God never intended for us to live the Christian life on our own, but through the power of the Spirit. And thirdly, this chapter contains the essence of Christianity. Because of what Christ did on the cross, taking that condemnation that is rightfully ours, taking and, and, and those who have put their faith in him, will never be condemned. Isn't that great news? We will never be condemned. Jesus completely and permanently paid the, the debt of sin and the penalty of the law. Look at me with the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, 17 and 18, a very well-known uh, section of Scripture here. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. No truer words have been spoken. And this chapter is astounding, but yet it's, it's a little bit overwhelming. The truths here are both attractive but yet elusive for many of us. We want, to, we want this to be true, and yet for many of us, we don't really believe it because we know how unworthy we are. We know that we don't deserve it. And it speaks of all these wonderful things that God has promised to us and given to us, 
through our faith in him. But yet there's still that gut feeling that makes us think, do I really deserve this? I know I don't deserve this. But God is offering it freely anyway. Some of you are convinced that God has condemned you and that you are spiritually disqualified because of what you've done. Well, let's break this down a little bit. As you well know, some words have been added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary over the years. And one of my favorites comes from a a children's Christmas movie that most of you might be aware of. You know the movie Elf? Yeah. Yeah. The word ginormous was added to that list, which combines the words gigantic and enormous. And without a doubt, Romans 8.1 is ginormous. So we're going to slow down a little bit and let's examine chapter 8, verse 1 today solely. Some of you have shut down already because you think you have a mental block on this. Now I'm going to repeat this verse over and over and over again today so that we memorize it. And at the end, we're all going to recite it. Because you should know it by the time I'm done with this sermon this morning. Don't believe me? Watch. Again, we're going to repeat this verse several times this morning so you will have it memorized. And I will have it memorized. So let's say Romans 8, 1 together. If you're not there, turn there now. I hear pages turning. Romans 8, 1. We're there? Okay, good. All right. Ready? Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Shouldn't be too hard, right? But let's break that down so we can get it down at looking at the why, the when, the what, and the who. And the why this morning is listed in the very beginning. Therefore, there is. Therefore, there is. There is. Now, the word therefore serves to tie the preceding seven chapters with chapter 8 by serving as a link to everything that Paul has established here. In the original, this is very emphatic, indicating that what he is about to say is extremely important. It can be translated this way So then, consequently, Now, I've picked just one verse from each of the first seven chapters to remind us uh, where we've been so far. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Still not good news there, right? Romans 3.12, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Darn, that rules us out. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise, 
that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Romans 5 verse 18, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. We're getting a little closer. Romans 6.11 In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Romans 7.24 What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? There is a progression here. Sin has been brought forth to the table. And I will venture to say that most churches will not talk about sin. They don't want to acknowledge it. They want to know that everything is good. That God loves me and that's it. That's all I need to know. That's not it. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in order to get away from that sin, we have to recognize it, know what it's doing in our life, realize that God has already paid for that penalty, accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and know that you cannot do it on your own, and then have the joy of knowing that you are not a condemned person. Praise God. Praise God. So let's work together on that first phrase again. Therefore, there is. Say it again. Therefore, there is. All right, so let's look at the when. What does it say immediately after, therefore, there is? What's the word? Now. That's the when. Now. That's okay, Dave. For the born-again believer, there is assurance that there will be no judgment to come in the future, but... I also want you to notice that we can and should experience this assurance right now in the present. We can experience it right now. Right now. No condemnation means there is neither judgment from God on me nor annoyance with God with respect to me. Neither on the last day nor today. In other words, as a Christian, we can experience true joy. We can experience true joy. Let's add one more word to that phase because we've already learned. Therefore, there is now, say it again, therefore, there is now, what? No condemnation. And that's the what. That is the what here. There is no condemnation. And interesting, at least for me, in the original word construction in Greek, the first word is not therefore. Those who have ever read read the Greek translation of the New Testament know that it's very, very different than maybe the, the version that you read, King James, English Standard, New King James, so on and so on. It's a little different. It's translated in a different way because Paul chose a strong negation to make the point that there is absolutely nothing by way of condemnation for the Christian. How can that be? We're sinners. 
So how can, be, how can there not be condemnation for us? He goes on to say, because here's a literal translation, not even one, therefore now. Not even one, therefore now. We could say it like this, not even one will ever be condemned to hell who is in Christ Jesus. Not even one will be condemned to hell who is in Christ Jesus. God now commands and commends and doesn't condemn the Christian. Not even one, not even one bit. Are we appreciating this good news? Yes. The word condemn comes from the two Greek words. One which means down and the other which means to judge. Literally, it means to judge down. And it was used as part of the Roman Empire. And as the Roman emperor, he sat on the throne when prisoners were brought before him. And as he heard their case, he would either judge down or judge up. So now you know where that came from in the movies. You see Caesar constantly doing this. This is where this comes from, okay? Now, I wonder if that's where we've kind of taken on, hey, great job, or eh, that's not so good, right? But we use those expressions. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your sacrificial substitute, the Almighty Judge gives you a thumbs up. You good with that? He gives you the thumbs up. God won't judge down because he sent Christ to come down. He sent Christ to come down. The judgment we deserve settled on the Savior and now God's blessings rain down on us. God has a gavel of grace for the believer as he pronounces this verdict. No condemnation. No condemnation. You are now a saint, not a sinner. You are a not unrighteous because I have declared you righteous. Paul is really picking up that truth here as he states in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. God's judgment will not come down now or ever for the believer. I guess you didn't hear me. Those in Christ will not be condemned because Jesus was condemned in their stead. There is no punishment because Christ bore that punishment. Amen? Here's another important truth to remember. When God says no condemnation, it's not based upon our performance. But it's based upon our position. Not our performance but our position. God declares it to be so because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. He doesn't revoke it when we rebel or we 
suddenly seethe with anger towards someone else when we see sin. We have peace with God. And we are not condemned. Think with me about the implications of this. Think about this statement. How would you behave if you knew that your behavior was not the deciding factor when it comes to God's acceptance of you? Let me repeat that. How would you behave if you knew that your behavior was not the deciding factor when it comes to God's acceptance of you? Think about that. Would you live any differently? We might. But having said that, let's think about what this doesn't mean. Paul is not saying that there is no cause for our condemnation. We know what we deserve. There are plenty of reasons for us to be condemned. And if you're not convinced, just reread the first seven chapters of Romans. I dare you. Eight years of seminary, I've won through it eight times. And every time it bums me out. He's also not saying that there's no failure for the follower of Christ because we all fail. He's also not saying that saints don't struggle and we don't stumble because we do. Let me offer this perspective. When Jesus saved you, when Jesus saved you, he didn't say he would take away all your problems, did he? He did not. But he did say this. In your problems, there is no condemnation. In your problems, there is no condemnation. In your struggles, there is no condemnation. In your going astray, there is no condemnation. The commentator Matthew Henry adds these golden words. He does not say there is no accusation against them. For this there is, but the accusation is thrown out and the indictment quashed. He does not say there is nothing in them that deserves condemnation. For this there is, and they see it, and they own it, and they mourn over it, and they condemn themselves for it. But it shall not be their ruin. It shall not be our ruin. He does not say there is no cross, no affliction to them, or no displeasure in the affliction. For this there may be, but no condemnation. They may be chastened of the Lord, but not condemned with the world. They are in Christ Jesus, as in their city of refuge, and so are protected from the avenger of blood. He is their advocate. And Christ God does not only not condemn them, but he is well pleased with them. A hymn that you might know very well. The title is, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? by Charles Wesley. The last verse could have come directly from Romans 8. It says, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. 
Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. All right? Let's add that phrase. No condemnation to the first part of the verse. Are we ready? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Say it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Now we're going to jump to the who. We're going to jump to the who. And who is the who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus. This promise of no condemnation is available for all. It is available to all. It's not automatic, though. It's not automatic just because you're an American or because you go to church or because you've given some money or done some cool things for others. That does not qualify you. It is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases. Using in Christ, in Christ, 164 different times. You think it's bad that I'm repeating myself today? This is what Paul did constantly. In Christ, in Christ. To be a Christian is to be in Christ. Turn over to Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Good luck pronouncing the names. Romans 16, verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. In other words, he's saying the only way that you can be declared righteous is to be in Christ. The only way to have your sins forgiven is to be in Christ. Listen to Philippians 3.9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Because we are in Christ, his righteousness is credited to us. Because Jesus is, <clears throat> excuse me, because Jesus is free from condemnation, so are we because we are in him. <clears throat> Remember too that there are not different degrees of being in Christ. There are not different degrees. If you are a born-again believer, you are no less in Christ than Billy Graham is. You are no less in Christ than Paul was. You are no less in Christ than all of the prophets were. That's good news too. To be regarded that well by God, even though we are sinners. 
We are not condemned. We are looked favorably upon God. So his righteousness is credited to us. And because he is free from that condemnation, so are we because we are in him. And it doesn't matter how mature or immature you are in your faith. It doesn't matter. Whether you are ordinary or ornery, tough or tender, you are either in Christ or you are not. According to 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all, underline that a hundred times, all will be made alive. It's like Noah in the ark. If you want to put an illustration to this. It's like Noah in the ark. When God told Noah to build the ark, and he told him very clearly that he was going to send judgment on the earth. And the only way to escape it was to be in the ark when the floods came. Genesis 7 talks about it. Pairs of all creatures that had been brought breath to life in them came to Noah and they entered the ark. Then the Lord shut him in. Those in the ark were safe and those who were outside were condemned. And once the door was shut, it guaranteed safety and security for those inside. But it was also too late for anyone else to enter. What's the moral there? What is God trying to portray to us? Especially in times of depravity that we're living in? Don't wait. Don't hesitate. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ... Start now. Yes. Start now. Not a person in this room will tell you that we are the foremost experts of being a Christian. We could all stand up here and tell everyone about our faults, where we fall short. But we are not condemned because we are in Christ Jesus. So Noah entered the ark, the Lord shut him in, they were safe, but the rest were condemned. That means that all what we've been saying so far is applicable only to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible is very clear. It is very clear. You are either in Adam, or you're doomed to condemnation, or you are in Christ and destined for commendation. We are commended by God. Does he know your struggles? Of course he does. Are we going to continue to struggle? Of course we are. But this is why we gather as the body of Christ, to edify one another, to lift each other up, to encourage each other, to live in Christ. The words of John Piper capture this better than I can. All of God's condemning wrath and all of his omnipotent opposition to us in our sin has been replaced by almighty mercy and omnipotent assistance. In other words, if you are in Christ Jesus, all of God's action towards you is almighty mercy. 
and its omnipotent assistance. It is not mixed. Understand that. It is not mixed. It is not as though some days he is against you with his wrath, and other days, you know, when we have our bad days. It's the same. It's not mixed. He's always there. He's always giving us that grace. And it's not like the other days when he is with you with love. And those days are probably pretty good days. You can kind of feel the love, right? And you think, man, how can it get any better than this? And then just like that, it can go bad, right? But God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Always. That is emphatically not the case and not the way we should think about this. It may seem that way. But that is precisely why we need the truth of God's revelation in His Word. Most of the time in this world of pleasure and pain, things are not what they seem to be. To understand what things are really like and what is really happening, we need to put on the lens of God's Word. In Christ Jesus, God is always for you. Always. This is where Paul is going in Romans chapter 8. He gets there in verse 31 and says, What shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who is against us? But let's face it. Some of us think this is too good to be true. In a sin-soaked world filled with sickness and disappointment and pain and agony, how can this be possible? In fact, this is so difficult to believe that some of you have secretly changed this verse to read something like this. Therefore, there is now some or a lot of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know you're tired of me saying this, but it's applicable here and all the way through. If you are struggling in your Christian walk, you're probably doing it right. And if you're not struggling, you're probably doing it wrong. If you have accepted Christ, God is not angry with you. Regardless of what you have done, He loves you and He cherishes you. He's giving you a thumbs up. He's... He's doing all these things because we matter to him. While we may celebrate this scripture and be able to memorize it, which I hope you have already, I know that many of you will struggle to personally put it into practice. So let's get real specific here. Let's get real specific. I'm going to make a statement that will reflect what some people think, and I want all of us to respond with the promise of Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here goes. If you were raised in a religious environment that has caused you to be filled with guilt and shame, even today, we say to you, therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're struggling with sin and your failures cause you to fall short, 
May I remind you that these words come right after Romans 7:19. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Listen to this message from God, fellow sinner. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If your memories of what you did in the past are paralyzing you, we say to you, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If your memories of what someone else did to you in the past are haunting you and eroding your self-image, we say to you, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're struggling with sickness and have begun to think that God is somehow paying you back for your sins, we say to you, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And having said that, 1 Corinthians 11.30 does not indicate that some have gotten sick and some have even died as a result of taking communion in an unworthy manner. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. If you see your problems as punishment from God, we say to you, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Note this. God does discipline us. But it's because he loves us. And we're reminded in Hebrews chapter 12, there is no condemnation, but there may be some consequences. Now, too often we look at that word consequence and we see that as a negative, a negative thing. But in all things we do, there is a consequence, good and bad. Good and bad. And if you find yourself thinking that God is angry with you and out to get you, we say to you, therefore there is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. If someone around you is condemning you, and putting you down, making you think that you're worthless, we say to you, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If your relationship always seems to rupture and you feel like no one cares, we say to you, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We memorized it yet? We've got a few more to go, so buckle up. If you find yourself falling continuously short, especially when you compare yourself with other Christians, we say to you, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if Satan is accusing and condemning you, as he will because he is the accuser, Tell him that he has nothing on you. He has absolutely nothing on you because we say, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a pastor who said this once. 
No matter how many times you may have failed God, no matter how many times you may have failed yourself and failed your family, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. No matter how bad you may have failed, you can be sure that if you are trusting in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. And I love what Charles Spurgeon has to say when preaching on this passage. Oh, for faith to lay hold on this. Oh, for an overpowering faith that shall get the victory over doubts and fears and make us enjoy the liberty with which Christ makes men free. You that believe in Christ, go to your beds this night and say, If I die in my bed, I cannot be condemned. Should you wake the next morning, go into the world and say, I am not condemned. When the devil howls at you, tell him, You may accuse, but I am not condemned. And if, you some, if sometimes your sins rise, say, I know you. But you are all gone forever. I am not condemned. Tony Campolo writes about a friend of his who has an adorable four-year-old daughter who is very bright and is very talkative, as most four-year-olds are. One night there was a violent thunderstorm with lightning that shook the house and caused everyone to tremble. His friend ran up the stairs to his daughter's room to assure her that everything would be all right. When he opened the door, he found his daughter standing on the window, still with her arms and legs spread out on the glass. He shouted to her, What are you doing? She turned away from the flashing lightning and happily responded, I think God is trying to take my picture. <laughs> if you are in Christ, revel in the fact that God is crazy about you. Revel in that fact. God is crazy about you. And if you are outside of Christ, you are condemned already and judgment is still in front of you. So I say this morning, come to him now. Run to him. Run for safety. Let's say our verse one more time together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to close this morning as Dave will come and bring our benediction. But I pray that if that's you this morning and you don't have that relationship to Christ, do it now. As Arnold Schwarzenegger would say, do it now, right? <laughs> do it now. It's worth it. God loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to be by your side when you struggle. He wants to be by your side when there's praise to be given. When there's good things going in your life. There's a reason for that. It's because God loves you. And he always will because he does not condemn us. Dave. Mike, would you please choose the song, You Are My King? As you're sharing these words, I'm thinking to keep singing this song. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. 
as we sing this together. Father, as we leave here this morning, I pray that our eyes are open, our hearts are willing, and the opportunities will arise that we will talk to others about Jesus, that we will have the opportunity to show that great love you have for us that can also be bestowed upon them. Lord, we're in a time and age where this is beginning to be a critical point. And it's been a critical point for quite some time. But Lord, we need you now. They need you now. Lord, use us as your instruments to convey that to the lost. Thank you, Lord, for our time here this morning. I pray as we leave that you will give us traveling mercies to whoever our final destination may be. And let us take this day to remember you and to honor you for who you are. And who you are is our Father, our Savior, our Prince of Peace. Lord, you are our all in all. Thank you for our time again together this morning. We love you and all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.